Well, it looks like you have the same Bible I've got, I believe. <laughs> Good to be with you today. I'm Floyd Elmore, as uh, you've already heard. My wife, Pam, uh, normally would be here. She has always been my ministry partner. Uh, we, uh, we were married just before we turned 21, and we've been married for 54 years. Uh, but uh, she has been going through a, a third round of cancer that she's had in her life. And so she has metastatic cancer after having endometrial cancer two years ago, and it's metastasized to her liver. So uh, by the grace of God, we have a wonderful Levine Cancer Institute here, right here in Charlotte, one of the best. And uh, that's where her uh, oncologist is. And so she just took her second round of chemo a week ago. Every three weeks she has one. First week is pretty tough. But uh, she's doing better even today, and uh, so I, I kind of left her in bed. So she's been sleeping a lot. Thankfully, the Lord's uh, helping her, I believe, uh, get stronger that way. If you have your uh, Bible, I want you to open up, please, to 2 Peter chapter, two, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. These days, I uh, have gone to a large print Bible and uh, even then, sometimes standing in the pulpit, I have to print it off so I can see it in 18-point type. So uh, don't worry about that. Uh, it's still the same, same scripture. Isn't it good that we can celebrate the, the Advent, the coming of Christ? But you know, we talk about the first Advent, really, and it's the second Advent that Peter's going to address in our text today. Actually, this book is uh, Second Peter. It's almost like having a second helping. Um, you know, with all this wonderful food that we have at Christmas time, don't you just have to fight those urges to have a second helping? You know, if you don't like that, well, you could say, well, it's a second reminder. Remember when all those kids were teenagers? We have four. They're now 51, 49, 47, and 44. They got their own families. And now they're going through the whole thing, and you have to give them warning number one, we're going to leave in 10 minutes. And then you, number two, that's the last warning, second warning. You know, Peter is sort of like that with his second epistle. You see, what happens is there were some things that have sprung up in the Christian community. First Peter is focused on persecution from outside the church against the church. But second Peter is focused on poison inside the church that's affecting the church. So Peter wants to address that. When we read those verses that we meditated on, the reason I put 17 and 18 together as, our, as the meditation verses is because you probably memorized verse 18 a long time ago. But grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Ever. Amen. I memorized that when I was a teenager myself. But there's another verse before that, but grow in grace. And that's that verse where he addresses the whole issue of the danger. You see, he's summing up at the end of the book. And so in verse 17, we recited earlier, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Don't get washed away with this weird doctrines and teachings going around. 
and don't lose your stability, but grow. See, there's two sides to that, but grow. Watch out, but you make sure that you pay attention. Grow, grow. And that's what Peter's going to do. So when we look at our text, then in uh, 2 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 1, we see that there's a, you know, an address, an, uh, uh, an introduction, so to speak. These people know Peter, and Peter said, Peter, Simon Peter, a servant, and uh, I'm going to have to use the big print. <laughs> Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith e of equal standing with ours. Of equal standing with ours. Your faith in Christ puts you on a par with the apostle Peter and all the apostles. That's why John in 1 John 1, he talks about you, that, that your fellowship might be with us because those apostles are the ones that were the eyewitnesses, ear witnesses, hand witnesses. They saw what he did, they touched him. And they were saying, this is the true savior. He is what we told you he was. And we have believed and we're in this fellowship circle and now we're asking you, when you put your faith in Christ, you're in the fellowship circle too. So Peter's using the same kind of lingo here when he says uh, there that you have obtained a like precious faith by the righteousness of our God. This is not anything of our own doing. This is God's doing. The righteousness that God has provided for us through our Lord Jesus Christ he has brought you to know him, and in that you now have an equal standing with the apostles. That's why he goes on to say, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. This knowledge needs to grow. May this grace and peace be multiplied. Kind of a hint of what he's going to be talking about all through this epistle, and that's why we have that verse at the end, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. You see, the point here is, when you grow in knowledge of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ, our Lord, then you will be more and more conformed to the image of his Son. Now that's what he wanted. I remember this morning coming in, listening to some Christmas music and one of the announcers said, uh, may you never run out of wrapping paper and your scotch tape never go dry. And I thought, boy, that's some prayer, isn't it? <laughs> you know, our, the, the, the apostles were, were a little bit more specific on that. May, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, that's the address. We have a faith that's precious, and we have a knowledge that gives us peace. And we're equals with him. Now, he's talking to people who aren't all Jews. He's talking to people who are in the, from the Gentiles who've been brought in. And so they're like foreigners who have been naturalized citizens in our country, and they're on equal standing when it comes to voting if they are naturalized citizens. We are naturalized citizens as Gentiles with the saved Jews, and therefore we're in the body of Christ on an equal standing. But what does that mean? Well, in our text, 
he's going to take that back door that we looked at in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, that back door key. There are some dangers and there are something for you to do, the growth. And he's going to give us a few more instructions about how to grow. So first off then, look there in verses three through five, and you'll see some assumptions that the author makes, some assumptions. He says there in three through five, in his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He's making certain assumptions about when you came to know Christ, what happened to you? He says here, he's given you, granted you all things that pertain to life and godliness. The Lord gave us a full set of tools to live a godly Christian life. He gave you a kitchen, the most well-furnished kitchen you've ever seen, so you could cook up the best recipes of living for the Lord. That's what he's talking about here, you see. So he says, he's all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I love this passage because it's got what I call the three peas in the pod right there in, in that one passage. Did you notice? He said there that we were, <clears throat> we were all by the power of God brought into this position. And then he talked about the promises of God. And then he said, you are partakers of all the benefits that flow from God. Let's look at those just a little bit. Power that equips us for spiritual needs. All things that pertain to life and godliness. You know, I... I've read many books, and I'm sure you have too, Seven Secrets to the Christian Life. All kinds of books that have been written about these things. But listen, when it comes down to it, the Lord has given you by His Spirit, with His Word, all that you need. But sometimes we need a little help to understand some things, yes. But He says, you have what it takes. It's not like you are deficient. You're not deficient. You've got that full set of tools. Henry, Henrietta Mears, you ever remember reading her book called What the Bible is All About? It's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie and it's in many church libraries. Henrietta Mears gives this illustration. She said there's a, a criminal on death row and his time of his execution was drawing near within a couple hours. And a messenger came with a check from the governor. A check for $100,000 and pushed it through the bars and says, the governor wants you to have this. That's not, that's not what I need. What, what are you doing? Are you, are you trying to make fun of me? And then in a few more minutes, another messenger came. And this time the messenger came with a deed to a million dollar mansion and he gave it to him and said, now you really are mocking me. What do I need? I, I'm, I'm headed for execution. A few minutes later, another guard came with the governor's own inaugural robe and said, this is for you. So now I really know you're trying to make fun of me. And finally, another messenger, the last messenger came and with it, the governor sends you a full pardon. Oh, now that meets my need, but 
you get to keep the check. You get to keep the title deed. You get to keep the robe. It's all yours through your faith in coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ by his grace. That's what he means when he tells us that we have all that it takes. You've got what it takes to live a godly Christian life. The knowledge of him for his glory and excellence. I mean, that's the goal we're, we're headed for. The, the majesty of the Lord, being with him and being made like Jesus Christ our Lord and his moral excellence, but he wants to see that grow in us along the way. And so here in this passage, he also gives us that other uh, P when he talked about how that we have been called when we have those, uh, he's granted to us those precious and very great promises there in verse four. Precious and very great promises. Now you think about it. There's some that maybe you've memorized. I'll never leave you nor forsake you so that we can boldly say the Lord is my helper. I'll not fear what men can do to me. You see, there's one promise after another after another. Have you ever read any books by Henry, or not Henry, let me see if I got that name right. Um, if I can find it on my page, there's the promises. Oh, it's Herbert, Herbert Locklear. Herbert Locklear, he's a guy who, who, he must have had more time than most pastors, and he counted all the kings in the Bible. He counted all the queens in the Bible, and he wrote a book. He counted all the promises in the Bible. And you know how many he says there are? 7,487 promises in the scriptures. Now all of them are not quite as direct for us, but there's a lot of promises in the scriptures. And they're all ours. He's given us these great and exceedingly precious promises. But why? Just so we can stand on the promises and sit on the premises? No, it's not that. He's given us these promises because, look at there at the third P, so that we, as he says there in, uh, uh, in the end of verse, uh, middle of verse four, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. We partake of the benefit. We don't become God. We are made like Jesus Christ. We'll be glorified. But he says we are partakers of all that flows from his divine nature to us. And having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. When he tells us then that we are partakers, we have everything that we need. We participate in all that God has for us. We're beneficiaries. That word partakers, it's the same word that's translated to have things in common. It's the word koinonia. See, fellowship, koinonia, that we use all the time. Fellowship is more than two, one or, two or more fellows in the same ship. That's what my pastor used to say when I was growing up. Two or more fellows in the same ship, that's fellowship. No, it's a little bit more than that. <laughs> and what it says here is that we are partakers of the divine nature. We're beneficiaries of everything that flows from the nature of God. And that's what it means to be in koinonia with God. That's assumptions. You've got what it takes to live the Christian life. And then that other word that he has in that end of that verse was escape. Escape from the corruption that's in the world because of its sinful desires. So not only have we, have we uh, uh, been brought into this family, coming to know the Lord, 
We've escaped the old life and we have a new identity in Christ Jesus. Now he wants us to act like what we are. Act like what we are. We're part of a royal family. Let's act like what we are. So look at what it goes on. It goes on from assumptions to what I call the additions. And so if you look there in uh, our passage, there at verse five, he begins to tell us in verses five to seven, for this very reason, see, because you have all these things, for this very reason, make every effort. Oh, that's something that I'm supposed to do. That's something you're supposed to do. Make every effort to supplement your faith. So this is in our court. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Sanctification it been brought in and empowered by the Spirit of God and dwelt by the Spirit of God, but now he solicits our cooperation and so we can grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And so he says here, supplement your faith, and then he gives us a list. Supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue knowledge with, and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Seven wonderful virtues, right there in a string. But you know what, they're really not a string. It isn't, here's faith, and then we keep adding these things like chain links or a charm bracelet, it's not like that. What it is, is the Lord has brought you into this knowledge of God by faith, and now he wants you to support this faith, supplement this faith by cultivating these seven wonderful virtues. You see, when it gets right down there to it, to the melody line of faith, we need to add the seven harmony lines of all these virtues. And in doing that, we will become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. That was Peter's last words in this book. When he said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he's pointing to these things that he's been teaching. He made a summary for us at the end of the book. That's the back door key to let us know that he's going to give us some ways to grow and he's going to give us some warnings in chapter two about some, some nasty things that are going out there, going on out there. But here, this is how we grow. And so we need to give attention to these seven. Now, I could probably take a whole hour on talking about these seven things, but we will not do that. But what you have there, just make sure that you, you get the big picture of this. For this very reason, when he starts off there at verse five, for this very reason, it's because of what you already have. Because of those assumptions, because of that full set of tools, because of that wonderfully equipped kitchen. Your garage is just amazing with all the tools hanging around. You have a wonderful, wonderful power that the Lord has given to you to live a life pleasing to him. But he says, let's make every effort to support that faith with these things. Supplements. You know, that word's another interesting word. Uh, in, the, in the Greek language, it's the same, it comes out to choreography. Choreography. 
So it's sort of like this. In the Greek culture, there were, some people have more money than others, but they all love the plays. And so some of the rich folks would be the ones who would provide everything they needed to make their masks, to build the stage, to have the seating, to be able to do whatever they, they needed for the play with their costumes. And that was the choreographer. The choreographer was the one that supplied all these needs. And so the Lord says, with these things, you can supplement your faith and you will have everything that you need, see? And the Lord is behind it all. <sighs> Think about something as simple as making spaghetti. You like spaghetti? I love spaghetti. Oh, when, when my wife begins to make spaghetti and she fries that, puts a hamburger there in the, and the, and the skillet begins to slice it all up and dice it all out and it's sizzling and begins to put a few spices on it and boy, it smells so good. And, and then, what does she do? Well, if you ask me, I know she adds tomato sauce and maybe a little oregano and a little salt and a little pepper and some sauteed onions and garlic and maybe even some diced mushrooms. I have no foggy clue what the formula is. You wouldn't want to eat my spaghetti, but my wife's spaghetti is wonderful. Now, the Lord has given us everything so that we can have this life supplemented properly with, by the power of God in us. Add to that melody line the harmony of these seven virtues. Now, let's go on in this text. Just look at these just briefly, if you will. The ends that he seeks in this passage are character qualities, and these are almost like proof of life. Virtue, that's moral excellence. Things that you should be desiring, like in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where he says if there's any excellence, if there's any moral value in that, then think on these things. Don't think about the other stuff. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, people of his own possession, that's what we're called to be, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you, his moral excellence. Show that to this, this, uh, this world. That's what we're supposed to pursue. Add to your faith virtue. Knowledge, deepening knowledge, common sense, application, knowledge that gains wisdom in use, skill in using that knowledge. We need wisdom. And you know, as I tell you, I'm 75 years old and been in ministry since really basically since I was 20 and different things. And you know what the thing that has disappointed me the most? Is to find Christians who've been sitting in pews for 20, 30, 40 or more years and they're not wise at all. And they get knocked off course so easily by some stupid stuff coming down the road. We live in a very dangerous time in our country. Peter was talking to people who were living in a dangerous time as well. And he said, take heed that you don't get swept away and take heed that you keep your footing and stay stable. Only way you're gonna do that is to grow. Grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Deepen that knowledge. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 5, uh, 15, 5 verse 14 says, uh, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to, dis 
to distinguish good from evil. Constant practice. That's skill, using knowledge skillfully. That's what Proverbs is all about. Wisdom in Proverbs is skillful use of knowledge. Self-control, that's what that should lead us to have a more of a personal prudence about life, avoiding extremes, disciplined moderation in the way we live. Get a grip, that's the word in Greek. Get a grip. Don't get, don't get swept away with everything that's coming down the pike. Make sure you check out the sources. Somebody tells you something. Self-control, be more in moderation. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. That will lead us to then also have an, a factor of endurance. Athletes understand this. You see those guys running up and down basketball courts. You see those guys getting knocked around on the football field. They just didn't walk out there after sitting in church, okay? There, there's a little more to it. Uh, maybe some of you were athletes in high school or college. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't ever on the A team. I was more on the B team. But, uh, you know, I ran half mile in high school, and I did okay, but I never, uh, I never really excelled at that. But I can remember our coach, he, his goal, he said, was to take your innate abilities and cultivate them and make you all that you can be as an athlete at this stage in your life. Takes what you have. Now remember, you've got the assumptions, you've got the full set of tools, and the Lord says, now let's cultivate these things and let's just see us grow in grace with these knowledge. And steadfastness is that endurance. Half miler, I don't think I could run, uh, you know, quarter mile these days, but a half mile, that was my race, and that was a tough one because you had to practice with the milers, and, and then you had to sprint with the quarter milers, and those guys were antelopes, you know, and here I was trying to run a half mile, but you'd be surprised what it does. I can remember him saying, your job for the day is to have maximum in and outs plus one. Now, what that meant was you sprinted the straightaway of the track, you walk the curve, you sprint the straightaway, you walk the curve, you sprint the straightaway, etc., until you can't do another one, and then you do one more, and you can go home. That was how he taught us endurance. Now, the Lord may bring lots of different trials our way, one trial after another after another, but he's doing that so that he can strengthen our spiritual muscles as well. Steadfastness. That's bearing up under. That's what the word steadfast is, bearing up under, but not just grin and bear it and become a cranky old codger sitting in the pew. No, he wants us to become Christians who show the grace of Christ, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's what it's all about. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, and top that off with godliness. I mean, here is becoming more like our Lord, fear of God with reverence. And then he wraps it up. Did you see how he ends it up with personal, he says, with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Very interesting, isn't it? Brotherly affection, that's Philadelphia. You've heard that word before, Philadelphia, philos, that's just one of the Greek words for love, but it's brotherly affection family affection, but that's gotta grow. 
And then the last word is that agape love. That's, that's the love of God, like the love of God in John 3.16. See, when God so loved the world, he loved people who hated him. And he sent his son to die. That's the world. And God so loved the world, and he wants us to cultivate not only brotherly love, but also this love that really reflects the grace of God. When all that happens, then you will have grown in grace. Well, let's finish this up. Not only do we have the assumptions and the additions, but then he finishes up with what I, I call the um, admonitions. Look there at verse 8 to verse 11. For in these qualities, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, do you see that? Increasing, that's another one of those grow words. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you don't want to just be like an old orange that got pushed to the back of the refrigerator and you forgot it and suddenly you discover it and, and you see that it's been shriveled up and it's not juicy anymore. Matter of fact, it might even have some mildew on it. That's not what the Lord wants. He wants us, as he says here, to not be ineffective and unfruitful in that knowledge of our Lord and Savior. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind and having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't earn our salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the welcome the welcome that we will receive. It's almost like a ticker tape parade. The Lord's going to say, welcome home, well done, good and faithful servant. But he doesn't want you to be ineffective. He doesn't want you to be, what did he say there? Not only ineffective, but um, barren, unfruitful. You'll never be idle, you'll never be barren, he doesn't want you to be short-sighted. You'll never be short-sighted if you cultivate those seven virtues. And you'll never be blind. You see, one author said it's like people sometimes are blind to the truth in their present. They leads them to being short-sighted about the future and they've forgotten about their past, the sins that they were washed from. It's all right there in that one verse. That's amazing. Summary of those admonitions then is character, effective, efficient Christians are not blind in the present and they're not short-sighted about the future. They're taking the long look and they're not forgetful about the pit from which God digged them. He digged us from the pit and he set us on the solid rock and he's given us this wonderful future and so he wants us to grow. That's what Peter was after in our passage. Now, what are we going to do about it? That's a big question, isn't it? What are we going to do about it? Well, I like to think about it this way. The doctor's orders. I'm going to write your prescription. For the next seven days, take these seven virtues, one a day, 
and they say something like this. Today, with God's help, I will seek to cultivate virtue, one of the seven, in my life by, what should it be? You have to do it. That's your life, not mine. You do that. Seven days. Just try it for seven days. One virtue a day for the next seven days. And ask God to help you improve in some area. Supplement your faith. That's what the Lord wants from us. Can we pray? Let's ask God to give us the strength to do these things. Father, we are so thankful for all that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. We know that without you, we would just be lost and floundering around like so many are in our, our own country and around the world. Lord, you've given us light. You've given us and shown us the path. You've given us a future, even though all things might happen that we're out, out of our control, but you still are with us as you've promised through all the hard times as well as the good times. So Father, we ask you today to help us to be humble Christians, thankful Christians for what you've given to us, and Lord, help us to be dedicated Christians to make every effort to support that faith with all those seven wonderful qualities, virtues that you've given to us here in the scriptures. We look forward to that second advent when Jesus will come. And until that time, help us, Lord, to be faithful and be the light that we should be in this dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.